It is the testimony of many religions in the world that their God is great, but we know our God is good. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. You may be seated this morning. Good to see you in God's house today. We welcome those who are listening in on the audio line this morning. Wish you were here. And we look forward to seeing you when you can be here. All right, let's open our Bibles to Matthew 24. I'm going to begin reading at verse 36. We've already covered the first 35 verses of this chapter in the past couple of services, and we're talking about the return of Christ as we celebrate his birth, as we commemorate his death, as we come each Sunday to celebrate his resurrection. So we also look forward to his return. The story is not complete. I got, uh, you know, I've been in my history buff mode for the past couple of weeks, and, and uh, I was watching a documentary on Mr. Churchill and, and the, war, the war years, and uh, I tried to, rec- I recorded it off of, uh, you know, the, I guess the DVR or whatever, and um, I don't know what I did wrong. I assume it was me, but uh, you know, about about halfway through, the recording stopped. I didn't get to see the end. I want to see the end. Amen. I like the story's not over yet, right? And I know the story of Jesus isn't over until he puts his two feet here on this earth and takes control of this world. And so we look forward to that and we study that and we preach about it, we teach about it, because it is our blessed hope. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 36, says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. May God's blessings accompany the reading of his word. Let's bow our heads together this morning. Father, we give thanks today for the word of God. We give thanks for its inspiration, your your Son full of your Spirit, speaking these words to give us a hope, to give us a challenge. We thank you for its preservation. Oh, how many times the enemy sought to destroy it. Oh, how many times he sought to corrupt it. But you preserved your word that we might have it today as food for our soul, as a lamp unto our path. God, we pray today for, for, for understanding, for discernment, for revelation in these matters. Open our hearts, open our minds. Anoint the one who speaks, for you know his limitations. Anoint those who hear and receive by faith. Let this word take root. Let it bear fruit. We ask it in Jesus' name. The church agrees. Amen. Today I want to talk to you about one of the more mysterious and controversial aspects of the coming of Jesus Christ. We know that Whenever the Bible mentions the second coming of Christ, we must look to the context to understand what aspect of that second coming 
is being discussed. We know that the second coming encompasses a, a variety of events. Last week we talked about one of those events, the tribulation period, the, the great tribulation which shall come and try the whole world. We know that the second coming also covers matters like the resurrection of the dead and the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, the restoration of Israel, and the rapture of the church. So when we look at any passage that deals with his return, we want to understand which aspect of that return, which part of that return is that passage dealing with. And the one that we have read today is one of the more mysterious passages or one of the more difficult to truly understand which aspect of the second coming of Christ is being referenced. But I have looked at this and studied it for many years, and even today I'm more convinced than ever that Jesus here is talking about that event which we call the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. Now, a lot of, a lot of mystery and a lot of conflict is... Uh, has been created over this doctrine. There's probably no other doctrine about the return of Christ that causes more conflict than this one. There are Christians who may agree on 99% of the rest of their theology, but will go to war over the doctrine of the rapture. There are whole denominations that will go to war over the doctrine of the rapture. And boy, we do get dug in at times, do we not? We and boy, there's nothing so dangerous as someone who's uh, utterly convinced that they have figured out the secret of the rapture and everybody else is in darkness and they're the only one in the light. So I do not want to trip anyone's toes this morning. I, I do not want to make anyone's uh, personal theology uh, or attack or seem to be attacked anyone's personal theology. Uh, as I said in the Sunday school class, let each be first fully persuaded in their own mind. But I believe when we look at this passage, it does give us some things that hopefully we can all agree on. Amen. If we can't agree on much, we can at least agree on, on, on a couple of things that will be uh, uh, prominent at the time that the rapture takes place. Now, when I say rapture, let me be careful that I explain what that word in the intent that I mean with that word. I am talking about what Paul described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In both of those descriptions, he talked about an event in which the living believers in Jesus Christ, those who are alive at the time of his return, will be caught up, taken from the earth, transformed. Their bodies will be gloriously transformed. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That, that word changed means we will be transformed. Our bodies, according to John, 1 John chapter 3, will be made like unto His. When we see Him, we shall be made like Him. So if you are alive at the moment that Christ returns, this is what will take place. You will, you will be transformed. You will be changed. You will be made like Christ. And you will be taken up out of this world. Taken up physically, bodily, as, uh, as though uh, you, 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 and according to, if we, according to Paul's uh, testimony, it will happen so quickly. He says, he, he says in the twinkling of an eye, I don't know how quick that is, but it seems that, uh, that, that, that to me is the speed of light maybe a little bit faster, right? I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not a physicist. I don't know if it's possible to go faster, but with God all things are possible, are they not? What I do know this is we shall be changed, we shall be taken up, taken out of the way, and we shall be with the Lord. Now that part, I think... Uh, Wherever, whatever our disagreements are, I think at least that much all who believe in the return of Jesus Christ can agree on. But of that day, the, the, the point of controversy among believers is when will that event take place? I just want you to know I've received a word from the Lord. No, I'm, I'm kidding. 
I'm kidding. Be careful of those. We, I've been warning you about that throughout this whole time. Remember, Jesus started this whole sermon with the words, be careful, be on your guard, don't let anyone deceive you. And there's so much deception, particularly about this particular event, that I've seen in the course of my life that, that it's just, uh, it's really almost like you're afraid to even talk about it. Because you're afraid you're going to get lumped in. You're going to get, you're going to get kind of uh, put in with all of the, the, the false teachers and the false preachers. But it's God's Word, and we need to understand it. When I was a teenager, I don't know how many of you will remember this. Maybe this was just local to, to, to my area. I don't know how, how much it got around the world. But uh, there was a, 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 a briefly very popular pamphlet put out that was called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Christ Will Return in 1988. And I don't know if anybody even remembers that. My, that, that, was a, that was such, a, that, that was such a, 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 just a comet of, 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 of creating panic and creating uh, uh, confusion. And, and I, I tell you what, for a moment... For a moment, a, a lot of churches and a lot of even Church of God preachers and pastors bought into it and, and began to, uh, to begin to promote it from their pulpits. And, uh, and unless I missed something, and I'm, I'm not always the most observant person, but unless I missed something, 1988 came and went without the return of Jesus Christ to, to this world. And then I remember this distinctly. The very next year, there was another book, 89 Reasons, why Jesus Christ will come in 1989. And that's about, that was about the last time I bought a book about the rapture because I realized right then and there it's just a way for people to make money and, and just, just you're better off just to get your Bible out and get a decent concordance and a, and a decent Bible dictionary because you're going to get it as close as anybody if you want to play the guessing game. But thank God we don't have to guess. Amen, church? Thank God we don't have to guess. Jesus warns us, tells us, and says, if anyone comes to you and tells you they know that day and hour, they're lying to you. No one, not even the angels of heaven. And here it appears that Jesus may even be exempting himself. That part is not made abundantly clear. But when he says, my father's the only one who knows, he may be saying that even in his incarnate condition, remember, there's some things that Jesus voluntarily gave up, some divine prerogatives that he set aside, and, and maybe that absolute foreknowledge could have been in that, uh, in that group of things. Uh, when he voluntarily said, I'm only going to operate uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going solely and completely going to be dependent uh, upon the Spirit of God. He may have emptied himself of that very knowledge, and, and if he did, what a sacrifice he made. Amen. Hallelujah. The incarnation takes on more glory every time we look at it, but he says, not even the angels of heaven, those who even attend the throne of God, will know what day or hour that this event will take place. Now, that may cause some confusion to us, and it's one of the reasons why this passage has some controversy attached to it, because Jesus has just finished a section where he gave very clear and specific signs of when the Lord will return. He talked about seeing the abomination of desolation in the temple. He talked about, the, uh, in Luke, he talks about seeing the armies gathered around the city of Jerusalem. He talks about seeing the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. He talks about seeing things, and even in, in some Old Testament prophecies, even in prophecies in Daniel, Daniel gives exact numbers, exact amount of days from one event to another. So when he says no one knows the day or the hour, it creates some concern. It seems on the surface to be a contradiction. But here we understand that Christ is talking about two different aspects of his return. In the first case, he was talking about when he comes in judgment, when he comes with the armies of heaven. We, 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 uh, it was covered in the, the morning Sunday school lesson. You miss a lot when you miss Sunday school. 
There will come a day when Jesus will come to, to judge this world. And, and, and at Armageddon, he will put an end to the beast and the false prophet and the dragon. And he will destroy all those enemies of the cross. And, and he, will, he will take control of this world. He says, in that portion, in that day, is a very specific time. It's attached to, to the series of events that he himself prophesied of. But there's another aspect of his coming. One where he's not coming in judgment but rather he is coming on a rescue mission for his people. He is coming to keep a promise. Oh, somebody praise God for his faithfulness to his promises. Thank God for his faithfulness to his promises. Because he promised the church at Philadelphia that he would keep them from the hour of tribulation, which shall try the whole world. He made a promise. He made a promise to Noah in that day that he would preserve him and his family against destruction. So we understand that there are two aspects, at least a minimum of two. One aspect of his coming is to judge the world and put an end to the rebellions and put down and subdue all kingdoms and all pretenders to the throne. That will be a violent coming. That will be a bloody coming. That will be a coming of death and destruction. That will be a coming of utter ruin and utter and absolute desolation. But we also know that such a coming like that could never be termed accurately as a blessed hope. So there must be a different aspect of his return. There must be an aspect of his return that is a hope, that is a light, that is to be eagerly watched and prayed for it to happen. I don't know how many of us would be very comfortable praying for the death and destruction of, of, of all of the races of mankind. I don't know how many of us would, would, would feel uh, that, we, that we were honoring the will of God to kneel at our bedside every night to, and say, Oh Lord, will you come and pour out your wrath and pour out your destruction and put an end to all of this, uh, this false pretense. That would be a difficult prayer, at least for me to pray. Some people, now some people are more comfortable doing that. I've heard a few preachers that sounds like they're, they, that's all they want. Just, just, just kill everybody, Lord. Amen. I heard one, one, one guy put it this way, Lord, just kill us all and sort, us out, sort it out afterwards. But that is not the way I think that God wants us to pray. I think the prayer that he encourages us to have at the end of this message, at the end of this thing, is a prayer for the deliverance of the righteous. A prayer that those who watch and wait will be counted worthy to escape the tribulation of those days. A prayer like Noah prayed. A prayer like Lot prayed. A prayer that says, oh God, far be it from you to destroy the righteous along with the wicked. There must be in the justice of God both. There must be both. There must be judgment on those who are disobedient, but there also must be reward for those who obey and trust and put their faith in Christ. I am, try, I, am, I, am, I, am, I am utterly convinced that the rapture is a reward for faithfulness. A reward for what? Oh, church, understand what I'm saying. If all that was waiting for us, if all that we had to look forward to was seven years or three and a half years of just absolute chaos, catastrophe, destruction, martyrdom. And I'm not saying, I know those of us who, who support the idea of an early rapture are often called escapist. We are mocked. We are said that, it is said that we are not willing to suffer or willing to die for our faith. They are the ones who do not understand. Even now in this world, tens of thousands of believers each and every year, are dying, paying the price. We live in an age of martyrdom. More believers are being killed today than in the cumulative history of, uh, of the entire Christian era. There are pockets of oppression in the world today that, 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 that would put the, 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 the gladiator games and the, and, and, the, and the torture of Christians in ancient Rome Make that look like a Sunday school picnic. Beheadings, burnings, bombings. We are not escapists. We understand there is a price to pay for following Jesus Christ in this world. And we understand that the enemy is angry with us 
and seeks our life at every opportunity. And I, I say today, I pray it does not come to our shore. And I pray it's never a reality here in the United States of America. But if and when it does come, I will take my place in the line of marchers willingly, not eagerly. I'll, I'll do my best to stay out of the line of fire. But if it comes, I will step up. I will not deny Jesus Christ. I will not turn. He has been too good to me. He has done too much for me. He has he's been on my side. I will not turn my back on him. I know Peter made the same boast. I, I don't want to be confused with arrogance here. It is my intention to follow Jesus Christ until the day I die. Whether that is a natural death or one that is taken from me, I do not know. But it's my intent and my heart's desire to serve him all the days of my life. But the day we're talking about is not a day like that. The day we're talking about is a day of the wrath of God. It's a day where God is the one who is pouring out judgment. And I'm pleased to tell you today that I cannot be subject to the wrath of God if I am under the blood of Jesus Christ. If I've already been covered by the cross, I am already delivered from the wrath to come. That's the promise of Scripture. We eagerly wait for Jesus who shall appear from heaven, Paul said, to deliver us from the wrath to come. I am utterly convinced that we cannot be subject to the wrath of God. It would be an injustice. That would be double jeopardy. I cannot pay for sins that have already been charged to the account of Jesus Christ. I cannot be judged for something that Christ has already been judged for. I stand in Christ, righteous and holy, sanctified and pure. I am uh, with the Lamb who is without spot. Uh, I am part of the bride that is without spot or blemish. There is no judgment to come for me. I was judged on the cross, uh, and I have been justified by faith and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, there must be a reward. There must be a reward. Not because I deserve it. Not because I've earned it. But because of what Christ has done. God will so honor His Son's sacrifice by honoring the promise to deliver all... My God! Church, receive this. God is not coming to rapture you and I just because uh, you know, He wants to do us a solid favor. He has made a promise to His Son. He has told His Son that He will protect, divinely preserve, and keep all those who trust in Him. And that He will deliver them and not subject them to the wrath to come. Verse 37 mentions the days of Noah as a template or as a pattern for when this or how this event will take place. Notice that in the days of Noah there were two kinds of people. Those who were walking circumspectly, perfect before God, anticipating the judgment that was about to befall the world, warning the world of that judgment. One scripture mentions that Noah was a preacher of righteousness and testified for 120 years about what God was bringing upon the world. And if you think your ministry is wasted or futile, think of Noah. After 120 years, he was only ever able to persuade his own family. Amen? His own family was all that he was able to persuade. 120 years of preaching, eight souls won. My God. I tell you what, I don't feel so bad anymore. Amen. Hallelujah. But I promise you it was not because of the lack of effectiveness of Noah's anointing or his preaching. But the world that Noah preached to was in such a condition. This is a warning to us. This is a warning to us. One of the signs that we are in the season. I said no one can know the day or the hour. But notice here Jesus makes a distinction. Those who are blind and ignorant and going on about their business as if all things shall remain as they've always been are in one category. That day will come upon them unawares. That day will appear as if out of thin air. That day will catch them asleep. 
but he tells us to watch and to wait and to pray for that deliverance and to pray for that moment. And by watching and waiting, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we need not be ignorant of the times and the seasons. The day of Noah is an indicator. In Luke, he also mentions the day of Lot. What do these days have in common? They have in common a time when people were utterly and completely rebellious against God in all of their ways. But more importantly, and and you say to me, Pastor, sinners have always been rebellious against God. Sinners have always, always gone their own way. What will make these ways different? What will make this day different? I tell you, another thing that Noah and Lot had in common is the utter rejection of the message of hope and the gospel of Christ. That is so, so important. We understand that. I believe in a merciful and loving God. I believe in a God who has, who has perhaps, one of the ways we can interpret this, the Father only knows, is that the Father may not yet have decided. Some of these things may be conditioned on the, the world itself and may be conditioned on the church itself. I believe in seasons of repentance and seasons of revival. I believe there's a time where where, where sinners are open and, and will respond. And I believe as long as they're responding, the mercy of God gets extended. Amen. Why? Because God is not willing that any should perish. God has put up with and suffered long the evil of this world, because in each generation he has been able to take out a people for his name, a people to honor the sacrifice of his son, a people who will be part of that great community of the bride of Christ and the body of Christ and the kingdom of Christ. But what do we do when we get to a day where the world stops listening, where sinners refuse to repent, where they hear the message of judgment, when the angels came to, to Sodom and Gomorrah, we all know what's going on there. We don't, have to, we don't have to spell that out. But when they came, the residents of the city, and the, when, 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 even more important than that, when Lot went to his son-in-law's house, the Scripture says that they heard what Lot had to say and they treated it as a joke. He seemed to be as one who was joking to them. He came to them with a message, you've got to come out of this city right now. And so far gone was their spirit and soul, so corrupt was their manner that they laughed at him, treated him like a madman, like a fool. Church, I don't know how much I don't know how much you're receiving this, but I want you to realize what's happening in the world around us. There was a time when the when 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 while few lived by it, there was a respect for the gospel of Christ. People did not necessarily receive it, did not necessarily believe it, did not want to be bound by it, but they treated it as something holy, something not to be scoffed at something not to be made fun of. It was all right in their eyes if you believed it and they respected that belief and and they didn't want to change, but at least there was a certain, as much as an unbeliever is capable of, a certain reverence. Recognizing that the Scriptures were indeed the Word of God, recognizing Jesus was the Son of God, was a touch point of our culture and of most of the cultures in the world. But think where we are today. The gospel is a joke. The warnings are a joke. Jesus is mocked openly. His words are scoffed at. His name a byword, a curse word. I don't know, again... I am no one to see, I'm not ever going to go up here and tell you this is the day, this is the hour. But I'm telling you this, if you're watching and you're waiting and you're praying, 
your spirit has to be troubled by what you're seeing in the world around us today. The message of the gospel, the message of holiness, the message of righteousness, the message of justice is a joke to this world. They not only reject it, but they actively work against it to limit its power and its effectiveness so that it will come an hour, and I'm not saying we're there yet, I pray God we are not, but there will come an hour when the last revival will have taken place. Where the hearts of man will have grown so cold and so distant that there is no one left to save who will respond. At that moment, God will close the door of the ark and remove his beloved from the path of judgment. Now for those who are in the world, all will seem, and this is another thing we need to understand about the rapture. And why one of the reasons why we can, we can at least make a case that the rapture will be prior to the tribulation that Jesus described. We can at least make the case on this. The world will be living in complete ignorance. Complete ignorance that the day is upon them. They will be going all about their business and will not even know that anything's happened until the judgment comes. See, this is something that must happen before the judgment comes. We know the judgment Christ has already described. So if we are going to follow the pattern that Jesus himself lays out, the rapture must be prior to the judgment and the day of wrath if we're going to stay consistent with the word of Christ. How much before? I will not even speculate. Some would say three and a half years. Some would say seven. Some would say just moments before. I leave that for your own time of devotion and study, how you wish to interpret that. But this much I believe Jesus is clearly telling us. And I believe he confirms this in the story of Lot. Remember what the angel told Lot. God cannot judge the city until you leave. We are the salt and we are the light. And as long as we are here, we are the watchers on the wall. We are the standers in the gap. We are the ones right now. I, 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 when I spoke at that, uh, at that intercessor's uh, uh, event, uh, I said we are the ones. We are the ones now holding back the wrath of God, turning away the wrath of God. Our presence is a preservative. No matter how wicked the world gets, uh, as long, remember Abraham's prayer, if there are ten such righteous people, Lord, Ten such righteous people. Ten per city, if you want to do it that way. We are the ones in the way. And believe me, the world thinks we're in the way too. Amen. The world thinks we're in the way too. We're in the way of progress. We're in the way of tolerance. We're in the way of everybody joining hands and singing kumbaya. We're, 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 the, we're the irritant. We're the fly in the ointment. We're the grit in the wheel. We're, we're, we're in the way. The world wants us gone as much as the Lord wants to take us home. Be careful what you ask for. Because the only thing that has been preserving this world up until this point is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of the body of Jesus Christ on earth. Our work is keeping this world from facing God's wrath. So it's my opinion, and I stress opinion strongly. It is my opinion we must be removed. Not only because of the promise that the Father made to the Son to keep us, and the promise the Son made to the church to deliver us, but because as long as we are here, God cannot judge the world. As long as this witness, remember, judgment is passed after the witnesses have testified, not while the witnesses are testifying. 
We're covering some of this ground on Wednesday nights, and I know some of this is already familiar to you. God's not going to leave the world without witness. God's already prepared a plan to witness to that final generation. And if He wants us to be part of that plan, that's His will. I'm good with that. But I believe there's some things that God, if the angel told Lot, God cannot destroy this city with you in it. And I don't believe God can destroy this world with us in it. We must be taken out of the way. Noah had to get into the ark before the rain could fall. I believe the rapture must take place prior to the judgment of God upon this world. When will it happen? It will happen before the judgment. How will it happen? Two things, two words. It will happen imminently. Imminently means there is no precursor. The rapture itself is the sign that the end has begun. That's why it's useless for us to look for signs today. I'm not saying don't pay attention. I'm not saying don't stay up on what's happening in Israel and what's happening in Washington and we all got our eyes on this virus and all that's going on with that and we're watching one, two, I don't know how many storms now are in the Gulf, three or four, ten or twelve. We we see it all, earthquakes in North Carolina, Puerto Rico. I mean, one could be forgiven for getting a little nervous at this point, seeing all that's going on. But understand this, there will be no sign for the rapture. It is an imminent event. It is something that can happen at any moment, at any time. Nothing prevents it. Nothing is keeping it from coming to pass. Only the forbearance and long-suffering of God. It is an imminent event. It could happen while I'm standing here speaking. It could happen on your drive home. It could happen tonight when you... I tell you, I've been having some really... I don't even know what to tell you. I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to describe it. I've been having some really powerful dreams over the past few weeks. I'm not a dreamer. I'm not a dreamer. I cannot remember ever a period of my life having dreams like these. And I'm not even going to try to describe them to you because I don't understand them yet. And so it's useless for me to try to tell you what they are. I don't even know what they mean yet. But boy, I tell you, Spirit of God is messing with me in some powerful ways. And I'm talking about dream. I'm talking about voices coming out of the thin air kind of dreams. It's, you know, it, it woke me up last night and you know, I, I was a little spooked. <laughs> I'm not, this is new for me. I'm, now, some of you, this is your life. You're dealing with it all the time. For me, this is, uh, now, wait a minute, Lord. I, you didn't say anything about this waking me up in the middle of the night and talking to me from the wall. That's, that's, that's not, okay, I'm with you, Lord. I'll, I'm going along. That's why I, I prayed last night in bed when he, when he woke me up. I said, I, you know, I, tried, I tried the Samuel excuse. I tried the Samuel thing. I'm here, Lord. I'm listening. Your servant's listening. What are you trying to say? All I could hear was my own voice saying, go back to bed, man. Get, 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 get some sleep. But I tell you, I tell you, the imminence of Christ's return has got to be foremost in our minds. We're wandering around, and some people are, 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 are worried about the election, and I get that. Some people are worried about the economy. I get that. Some people are worried about what's going on with the schools and in the meta, and I understand why these things, these impact our life. This is, this is stuff that impacts our day to day. I understand why our minds get preoccupied with them. But we have got to discipline our minds. You can't let the world dictate how you think. You can't let, you can't let the events of a moment, the events of the world that are happening around you control the way you think and feel. You've got to discipline your mind. And understand that, yes, these things matter, but the foremost thing that matters is being ready and being prepared for the Lord may come in a moment. Imminency. And then the second word is instantaneously. When the rapture takes place, it will take place so quickly that it will not be known what is happening until after it is over. If you're of the mindset that, oh, just a moment before, 
I'm going to wait till the very last moment. My friend, the moment will be gone before you even know it happened. Two walking in a field. Two grinding at a meal. Two lying in a bed. Two sitting side by side in church. One will be taken. One will be left. Jesus uses the same the same fraction in Matthew 25 with the wise and foolish versions. I don't think he intends to mean only half the church will be raptured. I think what he intends us to understand is this just because you're walking along the same path as another or doing the same work as another doesn't mean you're ready. There's a difference between external and internal. There's a difference between an appearance and the actual thing. There will be many who profess the Lord, who will say, Lord, Lord, who believe and claim that they are as Christian as anybody. We're going to look around one day and notice the person that they were talking to is gone. Or the person that they lived with. Or the person that they worked with. And they're not going to understand how quickly, how instantaneously, this event is going to take place so quickly, so a, photograph, a camera will not be able to take a photograph of it. The eye will not register it happening until after it's done. The ear, the body's responses will not even know it has happened. Now for those of us that are changed, it's going to be quite the ride, I think. It's going to be quite the experience. My God, it's going to be something. But for those that are not taken, what happened after the door closed? What happened after Lot got outside the city? What happened? Things will come upon them so quickly, so quickly, when the restrainer is removed, things will happen so fast that there won't even be time to even... I don't believe, honestly, I've always been of two opinions. One opinion I've had off and on over the years is that there won't be enough of us going for the world to miss us. Amen. There's just not going to be enough to be missed. I pray that's wrong. I, I, I pray that numbers are so great that the world says, whoa. But the other opinion I've had is you would think an event like the rapture would be proof positive. It would be so, even if you were just a, a borderline, kind of almost sort of Christian, you see 100 million, 100 billion, whatever it is, you see all these people disappear, that should lock it in for you. That should be the final bit of evidence, whatever you needed to believe. That should be a, alone should be enough, at least to, to, to turn your heart back to God and bring repentance. I, I wonder, I wonder, quarantines or no quarantines, I wonder how many churches will be filled the day after the rapture. How many churches will be filled? How many parked cars up and down the streets? People pouring into the house of God, wondering, what was all this about? But the other opinion I've had is the judgment will come so quickly after the rapture. People will be so caught up in what's happening in the world that the rapture will soon be forgotten as self-preservation takes the primary position in people's hearts and minds. Now, I don't know, maybe it's a combination of the both, maybe there's other factors to be considered, but this much I know, once the rapture takes place and the church is removed, there is no further impediment. Nothing's left to prevent. I, rem I remember, and this is a personal story for me, I remember the my, my mother uh, been on my mind this week. It was nine years ago on Wednesday that she passed. And I, 
I was thinking about her this week, of course, and uh, I, many of you knew my mother, and, and uh, she had, I, I remember the sound of my childhood, the sound I remember more than anything other in my house as my mother prayed. She would be in her bedroom, her door closed. She'd be praying in tongues. My mother had the most musical tongue language. I could never be sure if she was singing it or praying it or what. But I would, my bedroom was right there next to, to, to mom and dad's, and I would hear her through the walls at night just pray. And I can't even begin to describe the comfort of knowing as, as bullheaded and rebellious and, and mean as I was. My mother's prayers had me covered. And I felt that my whole life. And after she passed, I had that sense of dislocation. Like, who's praying for me now? Who, now, my father, of course, you know, he, I, I know he's on it. But he's not a spring chicken either, you know? I remember my grandmother, my mother's mother. She's, she's old school holiness. And I don't even think you understand old school holiness if you didn't know my grandmother. She was, couldn't read, couldn't, couldn't write, never went to school, uh, taught herself to read by reading the Bible. It was the only thing she'd ever read. She wouldn't read anything else. Wouldn't read anything else. She was Pentecostal when they were blowing up Pentecostal churches. I mean, she came in early. She had a rough life. Married at 13. 12 kids. Raising them without an education. Farm life. Poverty. But boy, she could shake heaven. And I've told you this many times. I, we, we, we did the math out of, at, at a family reunion one time of her children, of her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, 26 ministers of the gospel from this one woman. And I remember when she died, the whole family had the same testimony. Who's praying for us now? We knew as long as Granny Burnham was on her knees, we were covered. And I knew as long as my mother was on her knees, we were covered. I don't know how much, how much destruction she kept me from. I don't know how many things were turned away because of her prayers. But I know that since she's been gone, I know I've, 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 I've prayed a lot more. I've come, to pray, I've come to pray a lot more. There's something comforting me about knowing that people who know God are standing up for you. But when all those people are gone, when all those people are gone, visited with Sister Joe yesterday at her house, and we were talking about, she, she mentioned this whole generation of people that she went to church with, prayed with, built churches with, how many of them are gone. It's a little, it's a little shocking sometimes to think People you grew up, preachers you listened to, and, and, and teachers, Sunday school teachers you had, and, and now they're gone. But now imagine when all of us are gone. Every man, woman, and child who names the name of Jesus Christ. What will stand between this world and the great evil of the enemy and the wrath of our God? It's not a world I want to be a part of. It's not a place I want myself or anyone I love or anyone, anyone, period, to be a part of. And so Jesus closes out. He says, pray that you'll be ready. Watch that you'll be ready. Stand on. That, that word watch is the word they would use to, for, for the one who would stand at the city gate to keep an eye out, to make sure nothing was coming to harm. Watch. He says, get your house ready. If you know what time the thief will come, you would have your house secure. I don't know how many of our houses are even secure today in this church, not to mention the greater church of God. Or the great, how many of our houses are truly secure? How many of us have put that covering over our families? How many of us have brought the blood of the covenant to the doorposts? Right? 
Make your house as secure as you can. Make your life as secure as you can. Be ready for you do not know the hour. For the Lord is coming at such an hour you do not expect. Even though the rapture is a promise and it is a blessed hope, we cannot ignore the warning that Christ gives here. The warning He gives. The rapture is a blessed hope. Praise God for the rapture. Praise God for the promise of deliverance of wrath from the wrath of God. But we cannot ignore this warning. He is speaking to His church. He's speaking to His disciples. And He is speaking to those who will preserve His words and pass them down. And He is saying, you're not going to expect it. If you don't watch and you don't pray and you're not ready, it's going to come upon you without any warning. How much closer now are we than those who first heard these words? How much nearer is his return than this generation that he was speaking to in the flesh? How much more should we be ready? And more importantly, how much more should we make sure that every life we care about is ready? I tell you, I feel a sense of urgency. A sense of urgency. And it's an urgency not because I believe that 2020 is the year of... I've, I've started every year with the same expectation. I believe Jesus will come every day. I look for that coming every day. Part of my daily prayer... Even so, come, Lord Jesus. But my prayer for this body and for everyone we love is that we will take this mystery, this rapture, and rather this, this idea of the rapture, and rather than using it as a point of division and confusion and conflict, we'll use it for the intent that Christ gave this message. As an encouragement and a warning to be ever ready to be present at all times, to have our mind focused on the eternal and our work and the work that we are called to do, the priority of our lives. Two will be standing in the field. Two will be grinding at the wheel. One will be taken. One will be left. Let's stand together this morning. We have a great promise. I know many today try to use the rapture as a threat, and that is not my, my way. I, I, to me, it is the great hope of the church. What greater hope could I give you? What greater... I, listen, I know the resurrection is a hope. Amen. But a resurrection is the hope of the dead. What is the hope of the living? The hope of the living is that we will not taste death. Is that not yours? I, I, I'm, I'm, I, that's mine. I know I pray. And I'm not, again, I say it again, I'm not, I'm not afraid to die. I'm just not in a hurry. Amen? I'd rather be taken alive. That's my hope. The hope of the living Christian, the hope of the living believer is that Christ will come for us. Come for us. And take us to be where he is. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go to my Father's house to build you a place, I will surely come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be, hope, you may be also. Isn't that your hope? Amen. Isn't that our hope? That's not a threat. That's not a threat of judgment. That's not a threat of destruction. That's a hope for the living believer that we shall hear the trump of God and the voice of the archangel and we shall be caught up together and be with the Lord. Father God, I give thanks today for the blessed hope, the blessed hope of the rapture of your church. 
Lord, I thank you for that promise, and I thank you for that hope today, God, that should be in the heart of every living believer, every living saint, every member of your body should have this hope within, that we will not see death, but that we will be changed, that we who are alive and remain will be caught up, that we who do not sleep, nevertheless, shall share in the transformation that you have promised will take place. Thank you, Father, today for reminding us of this hope and let our hearts and souls and minds be energized by this hope today. Let it be our motivation. Let it be our aim, our goal to be found pleasing to you and worthy of the hope, worthy of the promise of escape, worthy of the promise of deliverance. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. Let us keep watching, keep waiting, keep anticipating that every day begin with that hope in our hearts, in our chests, O oh God, infusing us with an expectation. And Father, for those that are not ready this morning, be they in this house or be they listening, God, I pray for them today. We do not have to be uncertain. We do not have to be confused. We do not have to be discouraged. We do not have to be in fear. We can know that we are ready. We can know that we are part of that blessed hope simply by knowing you, Jesus. Knowing you as Savior, knowing you as Lord of our life, knowing that your blood has justified us in the sight of God and that we are no longer subject to his wrath, knowing that by faithfully serving, obeying, loving, and keeping fellowship with you, O God, we can be divinely preserved as you did for Noah, as you did for Lot, so you will do for your church. You will keep us out of the hour of temptation. We can know this for certainty, God, because we know your Son, Jesus. I pray for those today that do not know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or who've drifted from this relationship, who've slid back, turned back. I pray for them today. Don't let this day come and this day be the trigger for them, O oh God, but touch their hearts now. Restore them. Revive them. Revive the hope of your church. Oh, Lord God, your church has taken so many detours. We've put our hope in everything but. We, we, we think we can somehow bring heaven to earth with the right person in power or the right law or the, or the right culture. But God, we know, we know that only Jesus can save this world. That only Jesus can save his church. I pray for our church today that this would be our hope. To be found ready, to be found waiting, to be found prepared when Jesus calls. I've got to ask a blessing. I ask a blessing on those today who receive this message and who live by its words that they will be counted as faithful and that they will receive as their reward the rapture of the church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. Be on the call this afternoon. Be on the Bible study call Wednesday night. God bless you. We'll see each of you next Sunday if the Lord tarries. If he doesn't, we'll meet you in the air. God bless you today. has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org. Or if you're in the Broward County area, 
We would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.